Corinthians chapter 8. We spent a little time away from our series in 1 Corinthians, but I want to get back into it today, and I want to talk to you about a topic that I think sometimes can confuse believers, and, and unfortunately, I think sometimes it can cause some disagreements amongst believers, and that is, what do we do in certain situations where the Bible may not be directly clear on a certain thing, whether it's something that we shouldn't do, or at least we think we shouldn't be doing, or maybe something that we think we have liberty to do that other people say, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if you should be doing that. I don't know if I would feel comfortable doing that, because there are situations that we encounter sometimes uh, where there are limits to our liberty, so to speak. And that's the title of my message today, The Limits of Liberty, from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. And what I've been doing in this series is I usually preach each Sunday from, from my regular Bible, my New King James Bible, but I've been reading the opening verses from a paraphrase, not that I recommend that you use a paraphrase regularly, but they can be helpful. And I hope they're helpful as we go through this series to kind of get you a real plain reading, if you will, of the text. So we're going to look at this this morning. I'm going to read these 13 verses. You can stay seated. I'm just going to read these to you to get your mind flowing about what Paul is addressing this morning. So remember, in chapter 7, he started to answer questions. We don't have those questions. We only have Paul's answers. So we can kind of put the pieces together a little bit based on his answers, but we don't know exactly what the questions were, just what Paul responds to. So in chapter 7, he talked about marriage and different things involved with the relationship between a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse, about intimacy. We looked at some of that stuff. Today, we're going to look at something that on the surface to us may sound foreign and, uh, and something that wouldn't apply to us, and that is eating meat offered to idols. And while we don't do that in our culture today, it might not be a problem for us. The principle there is something that we're going to learn from today, okay? So let's look at these verses together. He says, next is your question about eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. On this question, everyone feels that only his answer is the right one. But although being a quote-unquote know-it-all makes us feel important, what is really needed to build the church is love. If anyone thinks he knows all the answers, he is just showing his ignorance. But the person who truly loves God is the one who is open to God's knowledge. So now, what about it? Should we eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god, lowercase g, and that there is only one god, uppercase g, and no other. According to some people, there are great many gods, both in heaven and on earth. But we know that there is only one God, the Father, who created all things and made us to be His own, and one Lord Jesus Christ who made everything and gives us life. However, some Christians don't realize this. All their lives they have been used to thinking of idols as alive and have believed that food offered to the idols is really being offered to actual gods. So when they eat such food, it bothers them and it hurts their tender consciences. Just remember that God doesn't care whether we eat it or not. We are no worse off if we don't eat it and no better off if we do. But be careful not to use your freedom to eat it, lest you cause some Christian brother to sin whose conscience is weaker than yours. You see, this is what may happen. Someone who thinks it is wrong to eat this food will see you eating at a temple restaurant, for you know there is no harm in it. Then he will become bold enough to do it, although at the time he still feels it's wrong. So because you know it is all right to do it, you will be responsible. Notice that you will be responsible for causing great spiritual damage to a brother with a tender conscience for whom Christ died. 
And it is a sin against Christ to sin against your brother. I'm going to read that again. It is a sin against Christ to sin against your brother by encouraging him to do something he thinks is wrong. So if eating meat offered to idols is going to make my brother sin, I will not eat any of it as long as I live because I don't want to do this to him. Father, we thank you today for your word. I thank you for this message that you've placed on my heart. I pray today, God, that it is not only a help to those that are perhaps struggling with these kinds of issues, but God, that it is a warning to those that may have uh, harmed the brethren by their actions and their words. And so God, help us today to be mindful of others, to be mindful that how we treat other people is a reflection on our love of you. And so help us, God, today to be serious about loving our neighbor in truth and indeed in everything that we do. And we want to thank you today for what we've already felt in this service, for your sweet spirit that has moved among us. Please continue to do that. Open our eyes to the truth. Show us your glory, and we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thomas Huxley, who was a protege, if you will, a a companion of Charles Darwin, so certainly not a believer, but he had a good quote here, and I wanted to share it. He said, A man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do as he likes. A man's worst difficulties begin when he is able to do as he likes. Think about it in the Garden of Eden. God gave them a lot of liberty with a small restriction. And they desired to do the one thing that they couldn't. And it opened a door, so to speak, of all kinds of opportunities. But those opportunities... Did they create a better Eden or a worse Eden? Much worse, and a much worse world that we are still feeling the effects of today. And so while we may think that certain things are giving us freedom, or we may want to do certain things because we have the right as Americans to do them, it doesn't always mean that it's going to improve our lives, and certainly not improve our walk with Christ Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You're going to continue to see over and over that love is the defining characteristic of believers. All the knowledge in the world means nothing if it is not exercised with a heart of love for God and His people. And so it's great to learn. It's great to grow. We put a lot of emphasis in this church, and rightly so, at getting into God's Word and understanding it, rightly dividing the Word of God, studying the Scriptures. But you can be a wonderful scholar of the Bible and be immature in love. And you have got to grow. The Bible cannot just give you head knowledge. It's got to change your heart. It's got to change the way that you live and move and act. And the way that that happens is by faith and surrender and obedience. If you are just looking, many times Christians say, I'm not getting anything out of the Bible when I read it. And I understand what they're saying, but they're reading it just to gain knowledge. And sometimes the real work when you read is not happening here, it's happening here. And you'll see it here quicker then you'll see it here. Does that make sense? And so, as you read God's Word, don't always just read it to gain information. 
read it to be and see transformation in your life. And so when we talk about liberty, what, you know, there may be a lot of different definitions, uh, especially as Americans. We may define liberty in a certain way that others would not and certainly may be different from what the Bible describes liberty as being. So let me throw out just a couple of things that I am trying to articulate, that I think Paul is trying to articulate when we talk about what is liberty. Number one, liberty would be freedom from the Mosaic law. So we are no longer under the law of Moses. We have freedom because Christ fulfills the law for us, and so we walk in this season of grace, not meaning that the law is null and void. He certainly fulfilled it for us, but it is still the glorious standard of God. It is the guardrails, if you will. We don't keep the law to be justified, but we do keep the law in a sense that it is the holiness of God shown to us in these laws that we can live out. And so this freedom from not being justified by the law, but justified by grace, that's certainly a liberty. Another liberty in the Bible is freedom from the dominion of sin, right? When we come to Christ, He forgives us of the penalty of sin. We were all guilty. We were all condemned. When we came to Christ, He washed us clean where there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. But what we often fail to recognize is not only is the penalty of sin forgiven, the power of sin is broken. Now, you say, well, Pastor, sin seems awful strong still in my life. Mine too, because of this flesh. We all understand that the reality is the world, the flesh, the enemy are all still pulling at us. And because we have not completely left this life yet, there is a battle going on. But when we were lost, all we did was sin. Everything we chose was sinful. There was no, which path should I take? It was, this is where I'm going. And when we came to Christ, now the Spirit of God lives within us, and we have an opportunity to not choose to do evil. We can obey Him or we can grieve him. So there's still a choice to be made, but the power of sin has been broken in our lives if we yield to God and to his word, and especially to the spirit. It is freedom, this is important, this liberty we're talking about today is freedom to live as we should, not as how we please. There's a difference. Freedom to live how we should, not simply as we please. Okay? So here is the question that we looked at. Can a Christian eat meat that's been offered to an idol? Again, that sounds strange to us because that doesn't go on in our culture. So here's the background real quick. Obviously, the Corinthian church was filled with a lot of Gentiles, non-Jewish people. All right? And so many of these people came from Roman and Greek backgrounds. Both the Romans and the Greeks were polytheistic meaning they had tons of gods. They had a god for everything. They had a god for fertility. They had a god for their crops. They had a god for this and a god for that. You, if you've ever looked at Greek mythology, you know how many gods there are, right? And so they're coming out of this background. Anytime they had a need, they would go to the temple priest. They had temples too for these false gods. And they would bring a sacrifice to the priest to beseech whatever God it was that they were trying to make contact with, to help them out in their circumstance. So they bring the meat to the priest. The priest, obviously, if you come along and you bring an entire ox or a bull, they weren't necessarily going to sacrifice and, and use that whole thing. They would take a portion of it, 
put it on the altar, and the rest was a gift to the priest. Well, you can imagine how many people were coming day in and day out with offerings, giving a little bit of that to be burned on the altar. The priests get the rest, but it's kind of like the desserts out there. How many, how many can you actually eat, right? And so the excess these priests would take to the temple market, and they would sell it to the people, all right? And the people loved it because, in their minds, this meat had been blessed uh, because they had the idea that you could, you could get demons into yourself by eating contaminated meat. So if a demon possessed that animal and the priest didn't cleanse it and you ate it, the demon could actually come into you. But since the priest had performed the ritual over it, the meat was clean. So it was a, it was a meat that was sought after, if you will, by the Gentiles. But some of these new converts now are thinking, wait a minute, there's one God. I don't want to eat meat that's been offered to idols. But the Jews, for example, might say, listen, there is no other God. It doesn't matter if you eat that meat or not. Who cares? There's one God. We're not, if you want to eat that meat, let's eat that meat. Come over to our house. We're having a party. You're welcome. Come eat with us. And some of these other believers were like, I can't do that. It bothers me. That was offered in a pagan temple, and I don't want to eat that meat. That's, do you see kind of the battle there that's going on? That's where the question comes from, okay? Again, you might say, well, that doesn't really do anything for me. Like, how do I make an application for me today? Well, you know, like I said, there's, there's issues in our life. I've heard it all my life, you know, and some of them may sound... And, and here's the thing. If you've come from a legalistic type of church, you know, there, there, is, there is a concern about everything, right? And I mean, you know, sometimes it can be... And, and again, I'm not picking on any certain denominations, but you, you've probably heard... The, the length of the dress, the length of the hair, makeup, earrings. I mean, it can go on. And, and to, there can be some validity to those things. I'm not saying that you just throw it all out, right? But it can become so cumbersome and so legalistic that, that you, you constantly feel like you're always falling short. Like there's no grace, there's no joy, there's no, there's no hope, right? You are always still under that burden of the law. The other problem is you can fall into this, this loose living kind of idea that says, well, I'm a Christian, God's forgiven me, do whatever I want, as long as it's in the boundary of Scripture. If it says don't do it, I won't do it. If it says do it, I will. But if it doesn't say anything, I'm good. And, and that, can, that can lead to problems for both you and other believers. So, you know, the, the topics can range from anything from alcohol. Obviously, you know, we believe in, that the Scriptures teach that being a drunkard is a sin. To be overcome with alcohol is a sin. I personally, for myself, for my own conviction, when I got saved, I haven't touched alcohol since. I went completely abstinent from it. But there may be others that say, you know what, every once in a while I like to have a glass of wine with my dinner, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so that can be an area where some contention can start. Some people say, no, never touch it, don't look at it, don't go near it. Other people say, well, I don't abuse it, it's not a, a problem for me. Smoking can be one, right? Some people say, you know, you shouldn't smoke, it's a sin. Other people say, hey, it doesn't bother me. I had an old preacher tell me one time, smoking won't send you to hell, but it'll sure make you smell like it. I don't know if that's true or not. But that's what he used to tell me. And so way back in the day, especially in Baptist circles, it was dancing, right? You remember when Dirty Dancing came out? Like that, that movie now, I watched it the, the old version, the older version, the, the Kevin Bacon version. I watched a little bit of it the other day. That, like that movie is so tame now. Like it's, it's like, you know, but yeah. But now, like back then when that came out, 
Like there was an uproar, like, oh my, you know, and a lot of it was because of the issue like dancing, you know, you got to have six feet in between you and your partner. Before COVID, the six, the Baptists come up with the six foot rule with the dancing thing, right? And so, um, you know, there was a, the dancing issue was one. I put down a few, television. Like there are some people that can be very legalistic that like take your television, throw it out in a fire. It's nothing but evil, right? And other people are like, yeah, there's some bad stuff, but I don't feel bad about watching certain shows. I don't think it's a sin to have a television in my house, right? I mean, you go on down the list, books, uh, tattoos, right? There's a lot of different things that, that people go back and forth about that the Bible doesn't necessarily come right out and say, thou shalt not have a TV, you know? So what do we do with that? How, how do we respond? How do we treat one another? And so... You know, we're, we're looking at these things today, and I want to try to give you some points to help us to understand what to do with these situations and how to live in unity together, right? Because I can guarantee if we took a poll on different subjects in this room, we're not all going to agree on every one of these things, okay? And so here's a few things I want you to see real quick. Number one, we're going to look at, like, blocks of scriptures. I'm not going to look at each verse individually. I will, but kind of take them in sections. So I want you to look at verses 1 through 3. And I want you to title this if you're taking notes. We need to show love, number one. That's just a basic command. We need to show love. And the question that I want us to ask ourselves this morning is, how do we treat people who believe differently than us? How do we treat people who believe differently than us? And I'm not just talking about in church circles. I'm talking about in the world in general. Because you're certainly going to encounter people out there that believe a lot different than us, right? And you're going to count for people in church, in this church, and in any church you go to. So if you're like, hey, I heard there's problems at this church. I'm going to go down the street where there ain't no problems. I'll see you in a couple of weeks when you come back because you find out there's problems down there too. They're everywhere because people bring problems. And so we've got to understand that we are all problem people, but we don't have to cause problems. We've got to understand how we can relate to each other, how we can work together with each other. And so Paul says that we need to be able to show love. And I love in that paraphrase how he brought that out. Uh, I believe he used in verse 1 the, the, the term know-it-alls. Nobody likes a know-it-all. But we all know a know-it-all, don't we? Probably, I'm going to get myself in trouble. You probably have a know-it-all in your family. You're not supposed to say amen that. Don't. <laughs> Shh. Keep, keep it to yourself. They might, be, they might be watching right now. But we understand what that means, right? It's that person you're like, uh, you're, you're, don't, don't say it and don't show it with your face, but you're thinking, here we go. Here we go, right? Facebook's good for this. If, if you ever need a, a lawyer, a theologian, a doctor, you can go on Facebook and find thousands of experts in all those fields and more. Politics, that's another one. They're all, they're Facebook, you can find them on there. You don't even need the yellow pages. Just go on Facebook, type in a question, and you will find all sorts of people that know everything about everything. And they will be glad to share that with you. And so it's one of those things where it's like knowledge is good, and we should strive to be knowledgeable people, especially in God's Word, guys. We should be studying this book. We should be growing and understanding it more and more. It's, we don't live by just blind faith. We don't want to be ignorant right? We want to know what we believe. But as you grow, as God reveals things to you, and as you begin to understand things, the word there in my translation, um, he says, knowledge puffs up. Do, I, do, do any of you have uh, an old-fashioned wood fireplace? And maybe you remember a wood stove, and they would take what was called the bellows, 
and, and do that to stir the heat up, get the fire going again. That's the same idea, blowing around that hot air. That's what knowledge does to some people. It makes them blow a lot of hot air all the time, right? So knowledge is not the issue here. It's what you do with it. And, and he says to us in verse 1, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Love builds things. This arrogance tears things down, right? And so Paul is saying that we need to show love to each other. There's, there's, there's going to be in any church, in any home, in any wherever believers gather, there's going to be different levels of spiritual maturity, right? Some people are going to have grown. Some people are still growing. And so you've got to interact with people and understand that if, if, if you feel that you're farther along in your walk, praise God, that is wonderful. But use that knowledge to build up. Don't just go around blow hot air all the time. I would have never done that. Boy, I'm so mature and I'm so far along in my walk, I can't believe that you see what they were doing over there. You know, that doesn't help anything. Like, you may be right. Like, you may say, what that, but that's not how we respond, right? It, it, to build up means to come alongside of someone and say, hey, you know, in love, I want, let me help you. Because I used to be where you're at, and I was struggling with that. Because I thought a lot about, like, you know, in our spiritual walk, it's just like the physical in the sense of, like, a child, right? If we went down there um, to the nursery, we would see children that are interacting a lot differently than, hopefully, than the children in the youth group, right? That the youth have matured. They're no longer, hopefully, crawling around on all fours with a with a full diaper, right? That would be youth. That would be weird. If we go in the youth room and that's going on, George and Melody, we're going to have to have a talk. But we, we wouldn't think that's weird in the nursery because that's what babies do, right? They don't do a whole lot. They, they eat, sleep, and, and do the other thing, right? And so it, it doesn't bother us. But we got to understand that Christians are at different places too. And so I, I think about like when you, when you interact with your kids or your grandkids, have you ever seen them doing something? Like they're, they're trying to figure something out. That's good. They want, they're trying to get knowledge, aren't they? Like they're messing with something, but they've, they've got it all jacked up. They have no clue what they're doing. And you go over and try to get, reach down and get it so you can show them. And how do they usually react? I can do it. And they pull back, right? And, and, and so, you know, we, hopefully we say, okay, okay, go ahead. And we let them struggle with it. Like, you know, that's one of the problems today, and I know every parent, we struggled with it too. Don't always bail your kids out. Don't. You're not helping them. Let them fall. Let them struggle. Let them learn through hardships. You know, sometimes that is the only way that they're really going to mature. If, if, if they count on you to bail them out every time, you're not going to always be here. And when you're gone and you're not able to bail them out, they're not going to be able to survive. And so God allows us to struggle. And we need to sometimes let other believers struggle to a point, to a point. But then, you know, when we come up to them, when, when their frustration has boiled over and they're, and they're ready to quit and walk out, say, now, please, I, I just would like to help you. Now, again, they have to receive that counsel, and I hope they will. But we need to show love. We need to be kind to them and allow them the time. And that's what Paul is telling us here. You know, these folks... Some people in the Corinthian church had knowledge. They knew there was nothing wrong with this meat, but other ones were really struggling. And there could have been a lot of this going on between the two. And there was to some degree. 
But Paul is trying to instruct them, say, hey, above all things, the motive has got to be love, not just to see who's right. Sometimes Christians are bad about just trying to win arguments, right? Like, if we win the argument and lose our brother, we didn't win anything. We didn't win anything. We lost. We lost, right? And so, show love is what Paul wants us to see in those verses. He says in verse 3, if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. In other words, when we love God, we're going to love people, and that's going to be evident in the way that we conduct ourselves. Like, you can say, I love, you know, you can sing, oh, how I love Jesus. If you treat people like dirt, you don't love Jesus like you think you do. You need to work on that. You need to repent of that because there's a problem. And so we need to show love. And then in the second section, verses 4 through 7, I want you to see he wants us to show grace. He wants us to show grace in these verses. So he goes on and he, and he kind of gives, uh, you know, the example of this eating of idols and, and there really aren't gods behind this. There may be demons behind it, but there's only one God. And so that, that statue means nothing. Like the statue has no power. There may be some demonic entity tied to it, but you don't have to be scared of a block of wood, right? Like it, it's so sad to see in other religions like Buddhism and different things where they'll go and just weep before these big statues and stuff. And there's like, the statue is nothing. It's made from man's hand. It can't do anything for you. Psalm 115 talks about it. They have ears, but they don't hear and eyes. They, didn't see. they, they can't do anything. They're powerless, right? And yet people believe that that idol is somehow going to help them. And, and that's where some of these pagan Christians were. They had come out of this background and they had lived through that. And now they're concerned like, well, what, what, but, but what if? Like, what if there is a God? And I don't want to sin against the Lord Jesus Christ and so I don't want to eat this meat. And it bothers me. Like, you're, the pastor's telling me don't worry about it. The church is telling me don't worry about it. But I'm worried about it. Like, if that person hasn't been freed from that bondage yet, like, if he doesn't have the liberty that we do, then don't force that person. Let them grow. Let them struggle. Show them love. Walk with them through it. But you can't always fix everything for people. I'm bad about that. I'm a, do we, am I the only person that likes to try to fix everything? And I, I usually get my hands in the way and mess things up, right? Like... Some things, especially people, you can't fix, and God doesn't want you to fix them. Matter of fact, you can't fix yourself, right? So if you can't fix yourself, you certainly don't want to come to me to expect me to fix you. I can't fix me. And so we walk with people, and, and, and while we're walking in that season with them, while they're struggling, we're like, I just don't understand. Why are you struggling? It's nothing to worry about. Just walk with them. Just love them and be there with them and let them grow and let God show them so that eventually they'll say, you know what, there isn't nothing wrong with eating this meat. I don't know why I was worried. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, you know, and we all walk through seasons like that. I, Andy walked out. I didn't want to put him on the spot, but I'll put him on the spot while he's not here. He said, you know, with the whole house situation, I don't think he'd mind that I share this, but, you know, he's like this morning, he said, now looking back on it, why was I worried, right? And it's always hindsight's twenty twenty. We're all, we're, he's no different than any of us, right? We look back and we're like, yeah, now that we see God move, yeah, why, why did I worry? But we do worry about it, right? But we were in here saying, Andy, grow up. Just be a mature believer and stop, right? We walked with them through that season because there was a lot of issues and a lot of uncertainty. And while we all can say, well, God was going to work it out, yeah, but we weren't the ones going through it, right? And so we showed grace, I hope, I think we did, showed grace and love and prayed and supported, and God moved. 
Amen. The house is closed on. Glory to God, right? And so, you know, it, but it's one of those things where we could, have, we could have compounded their struggle and their hurt by treating them without love and without grace. And, and we could have done that in any number of situations, right? And so we don't, we don't want to harm a weak believer's conscience. Uh, Romans 14.23, this is from the New Living Translation. Just I thought it brought it out pretty plain. It says, But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. So, so the idea there is your conscience has bearing on how you act, right? So in these gray areas where the Bible doesn't just come right out and say, thou shalt do this or thou shalt not do that. If your conscience is bothering you, then that is your guide. Your conscience isn't always accurate because it's fallen too. But your conscience is a God-given guide that you need to listen to in areas where you're not sure. And look at the motives behind these things as you struggle and as you pray about what is the right answer. It says, if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions or your conscience. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Or some translations would say, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Okay? And so that is a standard for us in these gray kind of areas. If you're battling with something like, let's, you know, one of the things we mentioned earlier, tattoos, for example, and you're saying, yeah, I just don't know about that. Like, don't just go out and get one just because all your buddies are doing it or because you saw one on the Internet and you thought, well, I don't, I don't feel I should do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, until your conscience is clear and you are certain in the matter, it's a sin for you to go against that. Does that make sense? And so, you know, we want to show grace. We want to show love. And the last point I want you to see is we want to show concern. We want to show concern for people. And I think this is sometimes where we fall short as, as human beings, not just Christians, not just as a church, as human beings. He says in verses 8 through 12, he told us, he gave us the answer in verse 8. Food does not commend us to God. For if we eat it or we don't, we're no better or worse. So basically, the answer to the question is, it doesn't, it's irrelevant, right? If they eat the food, fine. If they don't, fine. There's, there's no problem either way. That, that, and, and this issue, that's what Paul is saying to them. But where the issue does lie is not with the act of eating the meat. Again, it's how we relate to the people that we're supposed to love. How we treat the people that we're supposed to love. The action is insignificant. The way that we treat people is very significant. The way that we interact with people. And, and here's the thing that I hear a lot, and it, and it troubles me. And I, I, want you to, I want you to file this away in your heart and, and be cautious about this because I hear it all the time and it bothers me from everywhere, not just here. I don't care what people think. You need to care what people think. Very much so. Now, now let, me, let me clarify what I'm saying here. Um, because if you say, I don't care what people think, that goes right back to verse 1 with the arrogance of saying, I don't care what anybody thinks because I already know it all. I don't need counsel. I don't need advice. I don't need correction. I got it all figured out, right? And, and we may not always mean that when we say, I don't care what people think. But a lot of times I think that's the underlying tone of it. But what, I, what I'm not saying about is, I'm not telling you to be a people pleaser. I'm not saying walk around and try to please everybody that has an opinion. 
Because guess what? Everybody will have an opinion. Uh, somebody said one time, opinions are like armpits. Everybody has two of them, and they both stink. And that's true, right? So listen, at the end of the day, everybody's going to have an opinion or, or more, right? And that doesn't mean that you should just ignore those opinions, but you don't have to try to live by everybody's expectations of you. But don't just dismiss everybody when they try to help you, when they try to offer counsel to you. Weigh it out. Take it to the Word of God and see if what they're saying makes sense before you just say, I ain't listening to them. They don't know what they're talking about. Maybe they do. Maybe you don't know what you're talking about, right? It could possibly be that they're right and you're wrong. And so we've got to be humble enough. We've got to be teachable enough. John MacArthur says, our rights end when another person is offended. And it can be very hard for us to get out of the way and put other people before ourselves. And I think that's one of the hardest things for Christians to relearn, to be taught by the Holy Spirit, is that we're not number one. We're not. God is first. Matter of fact, God is first and others are second. And then us. The Bible says the greatest people in the kingdom of God will be the least. And that's hard. Because we live in a culture, and, and even churches today want you to think how great you are, how, how awesome you are, right? When the, that's why so many churches don't talk about sin and repentance, because you're not a sinner. You don't need to repent. You are destined for greatness, right? I mean, I don't know how many times I hear these prosperity preachers say that. Speak your destiny into existence because your breakthrough is just around the corner and you are destined for blessings and goodness. God loves you and He wants to lavish all this good stuff on you and it's all about you and God is just so thankful that you are a part of His kingdom and He's so thankful to have you and He's so blessed that you are here today. We're blessed that we have a seat at the table. <laughs> That's what it really is. And, and, and the message is not to try to make you feel horrible about yourself. But the message is that you are a mess, and so am I. And God recognized that, and in His grace and His love, He came for you. Like, I'm not trying to build you up. I'm trying to show you how great He already is, and that you can come to Him, and your identity is now found in Him. And no matter how great you are, you, you will never be any greater than when you are in Christ. You know, that's what makes it. That's what our study in the men's group has been about for months. Being in Christ and how that identifies us and changes us. It's amazing. And so Mark 7, 15, you know, Jesus said it this way. He said, there is nothing that enters a man from the outside that defiles him, but the things that come out of him are those that defile a man. And so Jesus is reaffirming this idea. It's not about the eating of meat. It's about how we treat people. And we need to have a concern for others. When you pull up to a red light, that means what? Stop. Some, some people today struggle with that concept. <laughs> so now, now you've learned something else. If that's a problem for you, red, stop. Yield, slow down. Green, you can go. All right? But when you pull up to that red light, like, stop. But is there a certain allowance, unless it says otherwise, do you always have to sit there through the whole red light? No. You can, what can you do at a red light? You can turn right, right? If, if what? 
There's nobody coming. Some people, some people like to turn right when there's a bunch of people coming, don't they? And then, and then, we, and then we have to come to the altar because we didn't act like believers when they did that, right? Because you all have told me that already. I'm not just making that up. You guys have told me you struggle with that a little bit. But the reality is, right, before we turn red on right, like the law says stop, but we have liberty to go as long as it's not going to cause somebody else to run into a ditch. That's the same idea, right? We have liberty to do certain things. Like, they may say stop, but we can go as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. But if it's going to hurt anybody, sit at the red light. Sit at the red light and make sure they're safely by first. And that's the same idea. Show concern for other people first. Like, don't just blot an intersection like you're the only person that's alive, and just because you're running late, everybody else should stop for you, right? Like, show compassion. Show concern. And that's my last point. We're done, I promise. Verse 13, show compassion. You can't love other people if you're always focused on you. You just can't. If our love and our concern and our care is supposed to be for others, and all we do is look at ourselves in the mirror, we are not going to be concerned about anybody else but us. And we have got to get to a place where, well, listen, let me just read it to you, verse 13. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul, you know what he said there? Here's my paraphrase. Paul loved people more than his steak dinner. You know, think about that. He said, I will never eat another porterhouse again if it's going to cause that person to stumble. I mean, he was so willing to give something up. And I don't know, I don't know that, I mean, would I, would I do that for somebody? Something I really loved? Like, or would I say, listen, you need to grow up. There's, not a, there's nothing wrong with the steak. I'm going to eat my steak. If you don't like it, tough. Would I be willing to say, listen, I'll, I'll have a salad with you for the rest of my life? That's tough. But that is the love that Paul is saying that Jesus has for us, and that is the standard for us. I'm not saying if you're not there today that you, you're, a, you're a mess. I mean, you are a mess. We all are a mess. But that's the goal to work towards, right? We can't just say, well, I'm not there. Oh, well, too bad. I'll never be there. I'm not even going to try. Right? That is the goal for us. And, and I'll say this, and Monica, you can come um, today, and Phyllis, you can come. But the, the example is Jesus. And I think about what he gave up for us. Like he left the splendor of heaven. He left the position of heaven to take on flesh and to become a man and to willingly and knowingly suffer all the things that he suffered. You know, think about that. If you had every luxury, if you were the son of God and had everything at your disposal and you gave all that up, to come for a ragtag bunch of messed up people like in this room today and in this world today. And he did all of that for you. What sacrifice is that? What love is that? And, 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 and again, I don't say we'll ever live up to that standard, this side of glory. But that is our goal to strive towards. And I hope we're making progress there, guys. I hope we're loving one another, caring for one another, seeking unity amongst the body because that's what Jesus wants from us and if we're not doing that we're not living the way that he wants us to so today as we close I'm asking you if you're not where you need to be with your neighbor get there if you're not where you need to be with Jesus get there and if you don't have a relationship with him most definitely today is the day to get there and you get there by faith by coming today and acknowledging your need let's pray Father we thank you this morning
for your love and your grace. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us. And most of all, we thank you for the word of God that gives us the truth and points us to Jesus. Today, Lord, is my prayer that if someone here today is lost, that they would come and receive Christ. If they're not where they need to be, that they would come and get where they need to be. If they are where they need to be and they just want to rejoice, that they would come today at the altar and praise him for who he is. But whatever the need, that we would not leave here disobedient, but we would follow your voice and do what you ask. In Jesus' name, amen. We have